0: Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Sample Hour. Um, today, I was actually joined by host of the School Sucks podcast, whose name I repeatedly say incorrectly throughout the podcast. I keep saying Vignette, but it's actually Vinat. So, Brett, my apologies. Thank you for not correcting me or being upset. Secondly, um, before we get into the show... Um, would just like to let you all know if you're in Ohio, we are having another Death Squad Ohio party, um, pre and post show party. So, uh, Brian Redband, Tiffany Haddish, and Dion Del Rey are coming in. It's going to be the Death Squad draft open mic battle podcast. Um, live at the Columbus Funny Bone at Easton, so that is Thursday the 16th, the first show starts at 7, we're going to be going to both shows, so if you actually call the Funny Bone and you tell them you want to do both shows, they actually give you a discount, so I think you get like five bucks off, so it's not a bad deal, um, but there's, um, there's, there's quite a few people coming, so it should be a really good time, so um, at 5.30 we're going to be at the World of Beer at Easton, should be a pretty good time. And then after the show, we'll be going there as well. Um, also, special thanks again to Brett for coming on and doing the podcast. Looking forward to having Brett on some more. Um, now, disclaimer with the audio, I'm not sure what's been going on um, with, I think there might be something up with my mixer, but um, it could have been a, a number of things. But luckily, Brett recorded himself. Um, that he had a, there was like a bad echo for him. I sound really quiet. I'm not sure what's going on there. I think I'm gonna have to uh, change the way I record with Skype or something like that, but it still sounds pretty good. So um, I kinda had to Frankenstein this podcast together. So hopefully you guys it sounds good. If not, let me know if you know, or who cares. So anyways guys, I really appreciate you listening. Please go to iTunes and rate and subscribe subscribe and comment. Um, give me a review. For the sample hour, also give School Sucks Podcast a review. Please go to Brett's website, School and contribute. Brett does this full time, he, he puts out a lot of great content. I'm a fan of his myself. So um, please contribute. Um, if you wouldn't also go to the Inspired Disorder com. Go to the Sample Hours page, and there, if you can see some of Ray Taylor's art as well, there's a link with a coupon on there, so you can help contribute to the Sample Hour. via that, and also help out Ray Taylor, who's got some awesome art. Um, And check out all the other great podcasts on the Inspired Disorder Collective. Um, Anyways, guys, I really appreciate you tuning in, and I hope you enjoy the show.
1: only a big talk. Conversations don't
0: to my dark thoughts looking down on my soul now tell me I'm in now tell me I can live long and I can live wrong and I can live right and I can sing song and I can unite with you that I love you that I like my life and tell me I final welcome everybody to another episode of the sample hour I'm very happy to have this guest on um, you may know him well you should know him from the host of the school sucks podcast um, I've been a big fan of uh, this gentleman's show, um, especially uh, the series he did with Gino Denning and multiple others. Um, you've had so many good shows, but uh, Mr. Brett Vignette, how are you doing today, sir?
1: Good, Drew. It's great to be with you. Thanks for having me on. Yeah, no,
0: it's it's awesome. Um,
1: so the reason why I wanted to have
0: you on, and um, is, I mean, I really want to kind of talk to you about you. Like, I, th- I think you have an interesting story. Um, and I'd like to have you kind of kind of dig into that and and kind of get into the podcast and how you started the podcast so um so if you don't mind so uh, you were originally a school teacher so what kind of so what kind of got you on the path of saying you know like you know I'm done with this and I'm I'm going to start doing something else like what what like if you don't mind just giving us kind of like a brief history of yourself
1: yeah, absolutely. Well, I would even say more importantly than once I was a school teacher, once I was a school pupil and that sucked. It was terrible. And, uh, you know, I, and pretty much the, the entire experience, I was in school for a total of including kindergarten 19 years. Uh, so. Uh I remember graduating from high school and thinking I was pretty dumb and I really didn't enjoy any intellectual pursuits. Uh all I was really into uh, in in college when I went there when I was 18 was partying. That was the reason why I went. I didn't even want to go to college. I wanted to go on tour with the uh the Grateful Dead. So uh I wound up at had a pretty mediocre school in Southern Vermont and I almost failed. I don't, I don't know if you can't, if I was failing, but my grades, I was definitely on what they called academic probation uh after my uh, first year. So uh, I was a pretty frustrated student and I really didn't take it seriously because I really just couldn't take it seriously. It was, it was too demeaning. You know what I mean? Like it was, uh, it was too much a negative experience that I, th- I think I learned by the time I was like a junior or a senior in high school that if I took this seriously, it would be it would be really demoralizing. So I just saw school as uh, as a chore and uh, I didn't like to read. Uh, I pretty much picked my major based on an interest that I had when I was like 12. Like I remember I wanted to be a sportscaster. Like I loved baseball. Uh, so much growing up. That was like uh, the the only passion that I had from like a very young age right through high school. And whether it was playing baseball or the Boston Red Sox, I loved baseball. And uh, I thought that since I was probably never going to be a pro athlete, I learned that in school, that I would think about uh, being in the broadcast booth. And my parents found this uh, like sportscaster camp that all the Boston uh, television sports celebrities would come and speak at. So I went there like three years in a row from the time I was like maybe 12 to 14 and uh, hadn't really given any thought to what I wanted to do with my life. So when I was like 17 or 18, I said, oh, yeah, communications, That's that will be my major. And uh, that's what I took with me to college when I was a freshman in 1995 and I tell this story all the time on the show, uh, as far as like, you know, beware of college versus the job market. The whole communications industry was revolutionized, uh, by digital while I was in school learning how to do everything basically analog. And when I graduated in 2000, I really didn't have the skills, uh, to do too much. So, uh, while I was in college, I wound up having this experience with a professor. Uh, a history professor who really ignited this interest in this the subject of history world history us history the civil war i remember being really really uh interested in the civil war for a while and i remember sitting in his class and kind of watching him admiring him and being like i would i might like to do this this m- maybe is is the path for me so when i graduated from college I uh, actually had gotten a job at a, a residential school uh, in the town where I went to college in Bennington, Vermont, and I just started as basically a grunt worker. My title was a residential counselor, and I, you know, started to see that in this place there was opportunities to move up, so I started looking for ways to do that, and uh, eventually I wound up in their education department and i and I'll pause there if you if you have any questions, but uh that was pretty much the story of me from about six to twenty one
0: so I mean so pretty much i mean it was like you think like school just pretty much beat you down to the like were you diagnosed with having any disabilities or anything like that
1: no i just miss that. Like I remember uh, when I was maybe a sophomore in high school hearing about a friend of mine who, no, I was a junior in high school. And I remember hearing about a friend of mine who had been diagnosed with ADD and he was taking uh, Ritalin. And um, then I had another friend um, when I was a junior and a senior, not a good influence, but he had kind of hacked the system uh, to, I, I don't know if he had a copy of the DSM-3. It might have been at the time. Maybe it was the DSM-4. Uh, but he had figured out how to get prescriptions for a lot of these drugs. They didn't have Adderall then, but they had, not that I know of anyway, but they had Ritalin. And, uh, he got a prescription for Ritalin. So we would ditch school and take Ritalin. So it was like, uh, on some days, my senior year that I had been, uh, diagnosed with ADD. Uh, cause I had Ritalin in my pocket and in my system. But, um, no, I, I think I just missed that. Um, uh, you know, the heavy period of, uh, diagnosis. I mean, I think I probably could have been diagnosed with ADHD. I think I probably could have been, uh, labeled dyslexic because of the way that, um, I learned to read. Uh, and I, I remember, uh, struggling with reading. I, I was a late reader. I don't think I really, Felt proficient with reading and writing until I was six or seven. And, um, you know, I think if somebody had watched me read, watched me try to sound words out, they p- could have stuck a dyslexia label on me as well. But, no, I escaped all that and, um, you know, n- never uh, took any drugs except for the ones that I wrongfully obtained uh, while ditching school.
0: Yeah, I uh, I was the opposite, man. I was diagnosed with uh, ADD and uh, oppositional defiance disorder yeah. And uh I was I think I started taking Ritalin when I was like a, in 8th grade and I started doing better in school. But then I just I don't know, I'm like my creativity wasn't really the same and I didn't I didn't ditch that stuff till I was like 22.
1: Now, uh, can I ask how you got labeled oppositional defiant?
0: Uh yeah, so a lot of times with that diagnosis too, which is interesting is like a lot of people think it's from bad parenting um and a lot of times, but no, like from a young age, like if somebody said something stupid to me, like I just, <laughs> I never thought like, because I said so was a good answer. Like I really wanted to know why. And so I just throw temper tantrums and I'm like, well, <laughs> you're going to give me that answer to something. Or if I couldn't get my way, like I, I've always like, and then like, that's how I was diagnosed. Like I would, I'd always fight. Like I'd always stand up for myself and fight. And then, um. Uh, that was interesting because then it it, like, I think I got to a point too when I stopped doing that. And then, um, that's, that's kind of a weird thing to think about when I, when I go back in time and like, think like, cause like, I think when my parents kind of split up and we moved to Columbus, I stopped standing up for myself. And then when I moved back to Toledo, um, I kind of remembered who I was before Mm. weird thing. And like, um, I don't know, like I, I think about that stuff a lot, like my relationship with my parents and. And how that affected me in a different way, but um
1: that's so true, you know, I just want to say like i I, I gave you like a couple of bullet points about school, and I said that's the story of me from age six to twenty one well it's you know it's a small piece of the uh, the story of me. Uh, obviously, because yeah, that, that um, uh, you know, those familial uh, dynamics play into it, you know, who we are in such a huge way. And, uh, you know, that's something that I've tried to stress on my show where appropriate. Obviously, there's people who are doing a more thorough job than me, like Wes Bertrand and Stefan Molyneux. And I, you know, usually refer people to their work uh, on the subject. Um, but, you know, as far as the oppositional defiant thing goes, and you talk about you know, not taking because I told you so for an answer or standing up or acting out. You know, it was it, the, the milieu hurts us either way. Right. Because for me, it was just I was a total retreater. You know, I just kind of resigned myself to like, oh, well, I guess this is, you know, life sucks and it's hard and you don't get your way and you can't assert yourself. So, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I just got very small i think in a lot of ways and obviously where i felt where it, where where it was safe to rebel you know like i would ditch school i would i would get very good at like forging signatures so i would ditch school and do drugs um but you know that was a, a kind of passive uh rebellion for sure i wasn't standing up to anybody to their face i i was just too uh beaten down to do that
0: it's interesting man um yeah, I mean, the, the, um, you've referenced it a lot, John Taylor Gatto's book, uh, The Underground History of the American Education. I think, yeah, yeah, like when he starts talking about like how the way like teachers and, and everybody else handles students, like my friend, uh, my friend Gina Tron, she's actually from Vermont. She was a suspected high school shooter and the whole school, like pretty much administrators on down alienated her and like teachers didn't want her in the class. And it was all because they thought she might become a high school shooter. Like, it was just like a gross negligence. Wow. Oh, yeah. Like, it's, it's crazy. Like, uh, like, and that's, and that's like, to
1: me, like, that's like a classic example of like, school like so you're talking about like pre-crime right you're like when you said i thought <laughs> the way you said it i thought they were investigating a shooting that had taken place we're talking like minority report stuff here right talking some philip k
0: dick short stories here like uh right yeah um uh she like uh she yeah like she had this cartoon book that she'd drawn, and it was like a big joke and uh and they, they, they just singled her out. I mean, they just, they just like, she dressed weird and like, she's like, she's a really good writer. Like she's wrote some articles in vice and she's talked about it. Like, uh, you know, she, she pretty much kind of fed into it because it gave her a certain amount of power. Yeah. When you're an outsider kid and everybody and you, and like you were saying, when you feel small, if you have an opportunity to kind of like say, oh yeah, I could, I can push on your splinters or I can emotional splinters or whatever, like i can I can fuck with you back, then I'm going to, yeah, and I think it's it's like the um it's it's interesting, man, it's like it's the psychology of it, like it's pete like I don't know it's it's so much stuff like teachers don't like they don't give a shit because they probably got in and thought they could do one thing and then they realized that they couldn't, and then like there they are, and it's like, okay, well, I need to pay my bills, so I'm gonna keep showing up to work,
1: yeah. It's a diverse group. I mean, I don't like to say teachers are or teachers feel or teachers do. You know, I think there are some people who are are very idealistic. I remember when I started teaching, I really thought that this was the path to changing the world. Uh, And maybe I sounded like, you know, an early 20th century progressive with some of the things that I would have been saying, you know, people like John Dewey might have been very proud of me, my first uh, year of teaching, but that faded that faded fast. And I wasn't even in the public system, I was in private school. But others, I think they they see it as a profession, they see it as a a relatively easy profession to get into. Um, I remember you know, talk, showing my mom one of my videos because my mom was a teacher in Pennsylvania in the inner city until I was born. And, um, you know, I was was talking in the video about how teachers have good intentions, you know, kind of making this broad generalization. And she's like, I didn't get into it for any kind of good intentions or any kind of idealism. You know, I was, um, uh, I graduated from high school in 1967, maybe, and they said, you can be a secretary, a nurse or a teacher because you're a woman. And, and that's kind of our inheritance. You know, how old are you? I'm 29. Okay. So I'm 37. So we're close enough to that, you know, that's the kind of, uh, personnel that we inherited the system from, you know, like people who a lot, probably mostly women who in many cases, e- even if they were like kind of okay with being there in the beginning, probably a lot of the time wound up being there against their will, you know, because what else, what else were they going to do in the 60s and in the 70s or or before that? Um, So that's part of it, too. So, I mean, obviously, teachers are a very diverse group, but uh, I try to be sympathetic to to their struggle because the system beats everybody down. You know, the system can make victims out of everybody.
0: Yeah, no, it's the state. Yeah, it's absolutely (laughs) right. Like, if Mm -hmm. you go back to it, you can... Point fingers at everything, but when you think about it, it's like yeah, it's, it's really just kind of the, the system and the that's set up um so um getting back on pace to the story of Brett vignette, sure so you're uh um so you're sitting so when you're working this job, is it like something like like you you're kind of like working at the register's office kind of at the school, or like your technical because your technical title like
1: it was a it was a student a residential counselor. And what I did is, this is how I wound up getting the job. Um, I was uh, like a senior in college. And I had been working in a convenience store for one job and a video store at a, for another job. And this was like 1999. So I was probably making about six bucks an hour at each shop. And a friend of mine who worked with me part- time at the convenience store, we were talking one night. That was a great job, by the way, working in a convenience store for a college kid. Uh, and, uh, you know, we were just sitting there and we could smoke cigarettes. That was pretty much what we did in chat like clerks it, yeah, it was it was I remember when I saw clerks. it was it was so similar to that. We weren't as witty. Uh, but no one was writing dialogue for us. So
0: thing too is you worked at a video store as
1: well. So you managed to have both Daryl and Dante's jobs. <laughs> and I was, I was probably, yeah, I had probably seen clerks by then. So yeah, I did. I worked at a convenience store and a video store. They just, they weren't right next to each other. They were down the street from each other. So my friend says to me, you know, I got this job at this school where I make $8.50 an hour. And that seemed at the time that was a lot of money. I mean, that was like getting, Three hundred something dollars a week every week, uh, and I said, "Yeah, I'll I'll go check it out because it was it was interesting. There was kind of like this this confluence of of life events. That one being just very simple and seemingly inconsequential, just somebody telling me where I can get a better paying job. But I had left college in um, 1999 for a semester to do an internship with a filmmaker who was um, partners with my uncle. My uncle had been a, a film producer." And a Broadway uh, producer and he had done uh, like uh, Mississippi Burning was one of his movies, uh, the paper quiz show. uh, And then he kind of just went on and and did theater work. Um, So the two of them worked together and they are based in Woburn, Massachusetts. So I came home from Vermont and just worked as basically uh, a script reader and, you know, deciding whether something should be sent to New York to get looked at by an actual professional or brought to a dumpster. Because we had this tiny little office and it was just filled with scripts that people sent in. That's
0: a cool job, man. Like, how did you like? How did they learn to just trust your taste in scripts?
1: They, they, you know, they, they said, well, you know, you're well. See, that's the other thing too. I, I think it was kind of like a make work job because it was, it was kind of family. You know, this guy, his name was Nick Paliologos and um, he had a, a pretty lengthy career in in Massachusetts state government. Um, and he had been like best friends with my uncle, my mother's brother since, you know, they were kids, uh, growing up outside of Boston. So I think, you know, my mom just said, you know, Brett's really interested in film. Can you get him in to work with you? And I'm, I I think it was kind of like, yeah, we can find something for him to do. So they probably had this, it was a windowless room (laughs) about, about the size of a college dorm room. It had a metal desk and a rotary telephone in it. And then it was just file cabinets and scripts. So I think it was stuff that all probably would have wound up in a dumpster anyway, but they thought I could maybe try to mine for gold, uh, you know, using whatever writing or, or, you know, script gold identification skills I had at the time. So, so they, so they let me, uh, I would go down there a few times a week and sit in this office, uh, with no windows and a rotary phone and, uh, just read scripts. And sometimes I would, if I got bored, I would storyboard them a little bit. Uh, you know, if I thought there was something that, I mean, I'm more visual than, uh, you know, just reading a script and and seeing it. So I would start drawing and, and even, even though this was pretty much before, you know, most people had access to the internet all the time. I mean, we had the internet, but it wasn't like in front of you all the time, constantly available. It was kind of like a pain in the ass because uh, there was a lot of waiting. I mean, in retrospect, <laughs> you know, if, if we were taken back to that now, it would be a pain in the ass. But it just wasn't like such a an essential part of life. But it was still pretty maddening just to sit in this room all day. So I would I would draw, and sometimes I would get up and I would start going through file cabinets because one of my projects was to sort through all Nick's stuff and, uh, you know, organize things based on theme or or subject matter. And he had all these newspaper clippings and he he was very liberal uh and he had been involved in um uh like the the education uh public education in massachusetts and i said wow look at all the things that this guy's done and he's you know he's made these movies that had a social message and he's politically active and and i said you know this i guess is is how you make a meaningful life you know you get involved you try to help people um and, and that's um you know, a kind of way, like, what can you do for society determines your value? Uh, these are kind of the lessons that I'm getting from a liberal politician and uh, a very liberal, um, you know, higher education experience. So when I left there, I said, OK, well, I have to do something that has a kind of social worth, even if it involves a sacrifice. And the experience that I started having at this school when I started working there, like, end of 99, beginning of 2000, was exactly that. It sucked, right? But these poor children, you know, they need someone who's had all the advantages that I've had, you know, to to help them out. So I think... It's a really like, uh, that's such a common
0: thing, and it's really like a... It's it's like that's such a funny perspective because like I grew up, you know, from, my mom's very liberal and, mm-hmm. like, and like and I noticed that with a lot of liberals like they have this like they, they well, they we deserve they deserve our help. And it's like, man, like you want to help people just because you feel like you should because you've had it better. I don't necessarily think that's a good reason to help people.
1: Yeah, they kind of slalom back and forth between outrage and pity, right? yeah, yeah. Yeah. Like helping
0: somebody out of pity. That's the word I was looking for. is isn't always a way to do it, but anyways, continue. Sorry about that.
1: Well, yeah. So it was, it was that set of experiences that, that brought me to the school and I think kept me at the school because the work was absolutely exhausting. And at times, because it was, it was kind of traumatic, like you would see some pretty gruesome things. And Um, it was very hands-on when I started. The school did, um, physical restraints. I eventually learned my way out of, of doing that. But, um, yeah, yeah, you really took it home with you. I started dating a girl who was uh, a teacher there, uh, shortly after I started working there. And we would leave work and we would just talk about work, uh, until we went to bed. So it, it, I'm trying to, I'm really trying to give an honest answer as to why I stayed, I wound up getting burned out after being there. I mean i I started there in let's say January two thousand. I graduated from college in May, and then I worked there for about another year before I quit and said I should get it try to get a job using my degree. So I wound up uh, getting a job in marketing at a ski resort. But after I got laid off from that, I went back to the school. And I asked to work during the school day. When I started, I was like a residential worker, which was like, you know, helping kids with rec and supervising meals and taking kids to do their laundry and supervising bedtime and wake ups. And, uh, it was a job that anybody could do. And when I went back to the school, I wanted to kind of have this forward progress. Um, because I had, I, I had, you know, in the, in the year and a half that I was there, I had gotten additional responsibilities. I got to be, uh, like an adventure person. So I'd get to take kids on trips. Um, I got a pay raise. So I wanted to keep that, that forward momentum. I knew enough to know that like careers are supposed to move forward and you're supposed to move up within an organization. So I kind of moved sideways into the education, uh, place because in the, from the time that I left to the time that I came back in the period that I was gone working at the ski resort, 9 11 happened. And for some reason that kind of, the the whole experience of like watching the news and getting so immersed in in all these things that I had never really paid attention to even though I I had become pretty passionate about history in college this had kind of reinvigorated the interest in history and and geopolitics and I I said okay in this world I need to pay attention and I really think you know I should be working in education I mean I really feel like those were the decisions that i made that started to lead me to where i was today so uh i went back and i was just a a teacher's aide and um i was uh, i wound up getting uh there was a, a, a this campus for um younger kids and they had somebody working there called a behavior manager and the guy who did the job i think he had a heart attack and he had to leave and so i i wound up being taken from being in the school building to sent to this other school campus. And I basically just sat in a hallway with kids who misbehaved and occasionally had to like physically restrain them. And, uh, that was, that was probably the worst, uh, experience that I ever had there because these kids just struggled so much, you know, with so many, um, personal and emotional issues. A lot of them had no parents. Uh, they were heavily drugged. Um, they, they they just they just weren 't set up to handle a, a typical school day, but that 's what was being asked of them and um, you know, I was just the bad guy, the scary guy that was my job to be an enforcer so I said, okay well i got to move somewhere from this and um, they had another campus. For the school, so all the same school, they had another campus for kids who had been sexually abused and they separated these kids from everybody else because of the, you know, the liability factor that they would, you know, try to get together with other, with other boys. Uh, it was all boys. And um, I asked them to make me the lead teacher of that whole campus. It was a job that nobody wanted, but it was something that I could have ownership over. So uh, in 2002, they moved me there. And that was where I would say my professional career actually began. So um, I worked there for two years. I would say it was um, as big of a success as it could be, considering a lot of the obstacles. And then when I had proven myself, uh, I asked them to move me to another school that they ran when a history teaching position opened up. And uh, then I did that. And I taught history in private school and high school math and uh, i did that until 2006 and that was when i left classroom teaching for good
0: so what was it that um and that's that is quite like a crazy man like i wouldn't want to do most of those jobs that you said just because it's like that's like really emotionally draining
1: it was i mean i i can just like i i've told these stories on the show before and um so so let me just get an example of something that that one thing One thing that happened one day to, um, help color this in for people who, you know, have heard me tell these stories before. So I'm, um, I'm teaching one day and I've got about 10 kids in a classroom and we have this self-contained building and I have two aides and one behavior manager working with me. And then I'm kind of running a bunch of other people in and out of the building to do art. Or uh, Title I, which was like some uh, government program. I was like a reading program. I don't remember all the details. So people were always coming and going. But I had about 10 kids and three or four staff that I was responsible for on a regular basis. So uh, one kid starts acting up and he runs out of the classroom. And this female teacher's aide that I have goes after him. Uh, And there she wasn't very good at conflict resolution she wasn't very good at diffusing situations and of course everybody was very frustrated everybody was burned out everyone was high strung who did this job so um patience was really at a premium you know it wasn't like oh well here's another situation that we have to deal with you know let's take a deep breath it was just one thing after another it was it was really like we use the phrase whack-a-mole a a lot you know are are you familiar with that um, like the game whack a mole, the moles that come out and you yeah, and you hit a mole and another one pops up. It's it's not the best way to think about working with kids, but that was actually an expression that we used. And um, so the this teacher's aid that I have is dealing with a student, and I can tell that it's escalating. And I feel like I, I you know I'm in a classroom with kids that I can't turn my back on. Because that was one of the rules that these kids could not be unsupervised even for a second because because of their sexual issues, they would do things like if a, if, if, if a staff turned their back, uh, a kid could stand up and just pull his pants down, you know, wow. and and that would activate – uh this kind of sexual response or the sexual reactivity in the other kids so these were the things the people who ran the school were afraid of and in fact the kids had been so programmed and i've told this story before too that if a staff walked out of the room even for a second the kids would all start screaming unsafe unsafe like robots until the staff walked back in and then they would just stop and go back to whatever they were doing so it was very it was very strange there was a lot of unsettling aspects to it so i i hear the situation escalating outside the room I'm waiting for this other teacher's aide to come back in so I can go and start getting involved with this problem. So all of a sudden I hear screaming. The, the female teacher's aide is, is screaming. So at this point I have to do something because she's like screaming in pain. So this, this boy, maybe 15 or 16, kind of a wiry, um, but kind of tall and strong, kind of a wiry, strong type, um, who had, um, Maybe he had been um, involved in some, like, gang activity um, back in, I think he had come from Maryland or something. Uh, I go outside, and he's got her by the hair. He's holding her hair and kicking her in the face. Oh, my God. Uh, so suddenly now there's a bunch of staff available, and we had to turn our back on 10 kids. And I don't know, I still don't know what they could have done uh, to each other while we weren't watching. Maybe nothing because there's this this pretty – um startling event going on outside right right outside the classroom. So suddenly it's me, the other teacher's aide appears, the behavior manager appears, and we're trying to um separate these two people as this boy is ripping this girl's hair and, and trying to kick her. So I remember at first he goes down to the ground, he still won't let go of her hair. Um her you can see her hair just being like ripped out of her head. And he's now just trying to kick her in the shins and kick her wherever he can. So he's just gone um, completely uncontrollable, and i I remember having to do some things to separate them that if an inspector had walked in and um seen me do at the time, uh, you know, not only could I have been fired, I could have been arrested. you know, but I'm trying to at this point, I feel like I'm trying to save somebody's life. and that was I, I remember this event so clearly because it was the last physical restraint that i had ever I ever did. And it was, um, it had been a long time since I had done one before that. But I remember just putting this kid down on the ground and, and being on top of him and having him like, uh, you know, we, we kind of would take their arms and use their arms like a straitjacket, And I, I just remember like being so angry and, and, and and just squeezing this kid. I was holding him by the wrists and, and just squeezing his wrists so hard because I I just, I was so angry, I didn't know what to do. And I was so basically traumatized by what I had seen. And so the, the female teacher's aide ran out of the building, um, crying and obviously took the rest of the day off. Uh, but that was, that was one of the, uh, the most insane situations that I ever remember trying to defuse. And, um, you know, we, then we have to make phone calls. We have to bring in more staff when something like that happens. Um, and, 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 there were kids who would fight staff. I remember having to to run outside because this kid tried to run away and he was a big kind of a strong kid and he was just in a fist fight with another one of my staff. Uh, and I had to get involved in that. And, you know, I remember like the guy from the kitchen was delivering lunch and he's like walking into the building with lunch. And I'm like, you have to stay and watch the kids. You have to stay and watch the kids. I have to run down the street and, and get involved in this fight. So it wasn't always that intense, but moments that intense, uh, they stay with you. They go home with you.
0: Yeah, you man. I mean, also too. You don't get paid fucking enough money to deal with that bullshit.
1: Like that's awful. Oh man. Well, I'll tell you though. When I was in when I was in Vermont, I was I felt like I was rich. You know, it was it was cheap to live there, and uh, the, it was a private school, and they paid me pretty well. Um Not what I would have been what I would have been making if I had been in public school for that many years, um, but I was I was actually pretty happy with the compensation and I think you know that was part of the um the management strategy you know like a lot of people were just people from town doing these jobs um not the teachers like we were professionals but a lot of people who work there you know the the school if they complained you know their supervisors or the people who ran the school would be like hey what else are you going to do where else are you going to get paid this much you know what yeah, other that qualifications that is, do you have mind
0: mentality
1: yeah yeah absolutely
0: gonna pay in vouchers that's that's crazy brett like that's uh i had no i had no idea you had to deal with all that craziness man that sucks
1: well that was that was what cured me of uh my liberalism you know and my my kind of progressive idealism that oh okay here's the treatment of children in state custody and you know i realized that um it wasn't really any different anywhere else. And it was also around the time, like around 2002, I started going to graduate school to get a master's. Um, and by like 2003, 2004, that's when I started like understanding the school picture a little better. Certainly not completely. But uh I was like moving away from, you know, let's get John Kerry elected and into like, wow, there's a whole bunch of shit here that's going on that nobody is talking about. And um, you know, my my whole mindset started to change. Um usually just during like research accidents, uh in in the you know, the master's program that I was in. I I, I mentioned in the last show that I did that uh it was it was then I can't remember exactly when in that process it was that I stumbled across Gatto's work. And I was like, school is a conspiracy. Come on. You know, conspiracy to dumb people down. But then I remember, like, I remember seeing that and saying, oh, well, that's silly. But then I was like, oh, well, but that's like a perfect plan. Yeah. You know, that that makes so much sense. If you're going to tell people that they're free, yeah, you'd probably want to control how they think at least a little bit. So, I mean, that brings us to like – uh you know, 2006, uh, the the other school that I worked at was not hands-on at all. It uh, there, there was, you know, it was difficult some days, but it was I, – I got to teach history. I worked about 28 hours a week, uh, and that was full-time. Uh, and, uh, yeah, I, I, so it was, you know, public school schedule. And um, I
0: – It was pretty cushy, but at the same time, it just wasn't what you wanted to do. Well, it
1: wasn't e- – I miss that. I, I actually, I miss that job. I miss, um, being in a room full of people and kind of the eye contact, you know, yeah. uh, and, and telling these, uh, stories, you know, and, and kind of, I, I thought that I had the ability. And I think in the beginning, I was kind of copycatting, uh, the history professor, like his style. Um, but I, but I think I kind of eventually made it my own. Uh, way of breathing life into what I had always thought were these horribly boring, uh, stories of American history. And I remember winning some of the kids over, and I remember that, that feeling really, really great. You know, like I would go home from that job, not thinking about, Oh my God, what a nightmare. And now I have to, you know, fill my head with all of these, uh, dark thoughts and visions of everything that happened today. Like I would go home feeling pretty good. Like, yeah, that was a, I did a lecture today and that was fun. And kids ask questions and people you know, were involved and, um, you know, a lot of kids would sleep in the class, but there there wasn't much I could do about that. I didn't realize at the time they were, uh, you know, I remember one, this one kid who, he, it was just so frustrating to me. He would come in the class and he would fall asleep. Well, I didn't know at the time that he was on all kinds of prescription medication and that's what he did during the day. He slept because he couldn't stay awake. Um, so I just kind of took it as an insult. Um, but. You know, so that, uh, that was, uh, that was, I, I liked that, but that's kind of what I get to do now. You know, I can't see people face to face, but I'm still doing all the things that I love about that job. Uh, in a way I still do that now with, with school sucks. So I'm, I'm pretty happy about that.
0: So, so, okay. So you, like you get to the point and you're like, I don't, I don't want to work. I don't want to be a teacher anymore. Um, like what exactly like what what was it that were just like i'm um, like what was your plan to just quit that job like what what were you going to do so when you decided to walk away take off the golden handcuffs um what what was kind of like i mean obviously your past history but you actually had a pretty good job um, mm-hmm. it wasn't bad so what what was it that was just like you know i'm i'm done with this
1: um all right i pretty simple i um i had a girlfriend at the time and it's it's funny, all of the like the behind the scenes motivators of our life story, <laughs> you know, so it was uh, 2006 and I had been at this job, a beautiful resort town of Manchester Center, Vermont. And uh, we had uh, a nice apartment. Uh, we uh, she had a good job. I worked at the school. And in 2006, we decided that we were going to move to Salem, Massachusetts, her best friend. Uh, live there and my family lived about 45 minutes away in New Hampshire and I'd been away from most of them for like almost 10 years at this point. So I thought, yeah, well, that would be nice to be, to be close to my family again. And, um, you know, she would be near her best friend and we would be, uh, in Boston, like basically in the Boston, the metro area where there would be a lot of opportunities. She worked in sales and, um, I didn't know what I was going to do. So, you know, we moved there and we both had uh money at the time. So we <laughs> like we uh, moved into a condo on the waterfront in Salem and we bought a new uh, car and uh, then we were like, all right, well, we better find some jobs. So she found a sales job om- almost uh, immediately. Like she was a, a young, uh, personable, energetic, attractive girl who had, uh, you know, a sales history. So she went right to work. And uh, I was painting houses when we moved, and um, then i was I was interviewing for tutoring jobs. I would just get on the train, you know, go to Boston, have an interview, and like go to these learning centers and Then I just found this small company uh like south of Boston near Dedham, where there 's like a giant Horace Mann statue. I realized one day when I was driving down there. Uh, and she's like, yeah, I, your resume looks great. Uh, I'll pay you $35 an hour uh, to come tutor, uh, to do academic tutoring and, and the SAT tutoring. And she's like, does that work for you? And $35 an hour was like twice what I, about twice what I had made anywhere, you know. So I jumped on that job right away and I would do anything for work. You know, I would drive to, um, I, I know this doesn't make sense to, to most people, but I would drive to Framingham, I would drive to New Hampshire, I would drive to Maine, I would drive to um, you know, forty five minutes south of Boston from Salem and driving in that state, Massachusetts it's the worst state to drive in. Yeah. You know, the traffic is horrible. The people in the cars are very inconsiderate, uh they're very nice out of their cars, but I don't know, something happens to them in their cars.
0: There's too many um, people, man. That's Yeah. That's pretty, pretty right. much it.
1: It's, yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, they're probably all frustrated, right? The Massachusetts highways, that's like the public schools of transportation, right? So it's probably the same things that a lot of those public school teachers are dealing with. So anyway, yeah, I would do anything to go someplace and work for two hours and have that be worth 70 bucks. And, and suddenly I found a way to, um, to do that like 30 hours a week. And then I got another job as a copywriter for a car website uh, in, in, uh, like Cambridge near Harvard. So, and they let me work from home and they paid like $20 an hour. So all of a sudden I was like, uh, you know, I was working 50 hours a week. I was making what seemed like a ton of money. And, um, I didn't ask too many questions about what they wanted me to do, but I was doing this academic tutoring, which was like, you know, you're getting bad grades and here I am. And, uh, I realized I was just kind of being an enforcer for the school and that started to get old after, after not too long. So, um, I, continued doing the SAT tutoring. I would still do the SAT tutoring, um, because I think it has some value, but I really just, I, as time went on, I just enjoyed that work less and less. And, um, I stopped doing it around 2008 and, uh, started my own company that just did, or started a company with somebody else that just exclusively did SAT. So I wouldn't have to do the, um, you know, you need better grades, uh, house calls anymore. Yeah. And, uh, that's what I, I did that until I just quit to work on the podcast full time. I also, I did a brief stint with a, a company called Catalyst. Um, that was like, um, uh, big, they had this thing called the SAT bootcamp. Uh, I did that when I was in Connecticut uh, last year. But uh, and and then any business like the last time I did an SAT class was probably seven or eight months ago, it feels like. And it's just kind of like residual word of mouth from, you know, an area that I was working a lot in like three years ago. Somebody said, oh, you know, so-and-so's kid. Had you in 2011, do you still do this? And I say, yes, I'll still do it and I'll go out there and, and do it. Uh, even though I don't do it. Uh, but that's, it's been, I, I think those, those residuals have kind of worn out at this point. Um, and, uh, you know, there's always, there's always competition popping up in tutoring. So I haven't, I haven't worked, uh, I haven't done that work in a long time.
0: So what, okay, so what made you want to start the podcast? So how did it, okay, so you, you're doing that, you're just kind of doing odd jobs, and then you're like, you know what, I, I want to, like, what, what inspired you to say, I want to be a podcaster?
1: Hmm. Okay, so it was probably, it was probably a series of, of things. Um, when I was tutoring, and uh, I was traveling in Boston, uh, I was commuting a lot, I was on the train a lot, and I had an iPod. So I remember like my, probably my podcast playlist being like real nine eleven y at the time, you know, like that was kind of my thing. That was what I was into. And for some reason I, I stumbled across Free Talk Live in 2006. Um, I started listening to that and uh, I thought these were just like the most fascinating conversations. I really love the ones with Mark, Ian and uh, Gardner Goldsmith, who used to be on the show every Monday night. Um, so, or Wednesday, whatever it was, he was on one night and it was the three of them. And the, the, the conversations just seemed so energetic and so new. And it was so interesting to hear people talk about current events in, in this way that I'd never heard current events talked about before. And I found myself, you know, listening to them and pausing and kind of talking to myself and, and thinking about, um, you know, the things they were saying and, and coming to embrace libertarianism. And now Um, you know, adding, okay, what else is like free talk live? And I remember I found, uh, Wes Bertrand and, uh, complete Liberty. And, um, you know, he, he at the time had only done like 12 or 13 shows, but he had his audio book, complete Liberty. Um, the, oh gosh, I really, it was pretty transformative book. I should remember the subtitle. Um, have you read complete Liberty?
0: I haven't, man. I, I am like, what's funny is like my, my path to like the liberty movement. It's, it's very different than a lot of people's. Like I'm not, I don't know. I don't know a lot of the, the people that like a lot of the like current, um, I guess, uh, minds of it's like, uh, it's, uh, I, I've never really checked out Wes Bertrand. Like I know Christophonic said, you know, he's a big fan and I've heard you talk about him, but I just haven't checked him out. Like, uh, um, yeah, I
1: probably you, will it, eventually. It's just it's just a matter of time. If you've heard my show, I'm sure you've heard him uh on my show uh in the past, but I find I found his book and I, and he was he just put it all out there so clearly and I said, "Yes, I'm a libertarian." And I, and the other good news is now like all of this like this collage, like all of these scraps that I've been collecting Uh, this educational research, like what's wrong with the school system. Now it makes sense, right? Now there's kind of something at the middle of it, like, oh, this whole system is made possible by the use of force, by the violation of property rights, by the disrespecting of individual volition. That's what makes it possible. Maybe that's what the problem is. Maybe we're not looking at a reform project here. Maybe this system needs to go. So it was shortly after that, that uh, listening to Wes, um, you know, I started to get into uh, free domain radio and uh, you know Steph's work, and um, so I, I had done so much talking to myself. And the other thing that I liked to do was find people uh, with whom I disagreed. So I would get like NPR podcasts and um, real time with Bill Maher um, audio. Somehow I don't I, I don't remember how I got it, but I would I remember just pausing these people I disagreed with and arguing with them in my head and coming up with all these witty zingers and one liners. And I, and I was like, well, wow, I'm pretty clever, you know? And, and I, I was, I was, um, painting a house in the summer of 2009. Cause I was, painting was like a summer thing for me, you know, like, cause I had been a teacher, uh, from 2004 to 2006 and tutoring always slowed down in the summer. So, uh i i painted and did like you know light carpentry and restoration work uh in the summers and it was the summer of 2009 and i'm just working uh at this house the people were on vacation i there was no crew i was just there by myself um and i'm listening to uh free talk live maybe some free domain radio complete liberty and i'm just having a field day talking to myself and i say all right well i i know how to record I had, I had conceived the whole school sucks thing, not the whole thing, everything it is now, but like a whole school sucks story as kind of a, a documentary treatment already that didn't go anywhere. Um, that was like the, the first form that I really thought it should take is that it should be like a documentary film. Um, I said, okay, well, I have all these ideas. I've talked this out before. Uh, and you no, know, no, I left, I'm sorry. I left part of the story out. Um, In the end of 2008, um, I wrote to Wes, and it was like winter 2008, like maybe December 2008, and I said, can I audition to be on Complete Liberty to talk about education? And I maybe wrote some of my experience down, and I said, you know, oh, it would be a great – thing from you know I, I i'll try out or whatever i need to do and he's like yeah, i think you can just come on the show you know if you if you're qualified so we actually started talking and and started becoming friends and we did some shows together and then um we just kind of went our separate ways uh it like you know spring 2009 and i started to like get really antsy you know like i need to get more stuff out and uh so i contacted Wes at some point in the summer of 2009 and we did some more shows with this other guy, Daniel Lockemacher, who used the non-aggression principle to get out of the Navy uh as a conscientious objector, which is a pretty cool story. And I and I I forget what we were we were doing some kind of series at the time. Um, but I was like, okay, I now I need my own I need my own platform. I've got this idea, it's ready to go. I have so much stuff to say. And in August, you know, with no technical skills, with no good equipment. I just said, I'm going to start putting my voice into MP3 files and putting them on the internet. And, uh, that's what I did. That's pretty awesome, man. Um, yeah, it's
0: similar for me. I, what I noticed is after I started my podcast, I stopped, uh, wearing out my friends and family with my views of the world. <laughs> like, it was like, I had like an outlet, like similar, like I felt like, yeah, man, yeah. I, I had like this worldview that I needed to share. And, um, and it sounds like it was similar for you, except, uh. It was a lot ancier for you. Um so, so okay, so you got a podcast. Um you, you start-
1: see the difference is though, it emboldened me, right? Like at first, because like, I, I was really frustrated too with all of these debates. And um yeah, I remember talking I talked a lot with my father and he he would tell you, like he would tell anybody, he's like, I'm just very naive. I just think, you know, we get back to the Constitution and, you know, yeah. <laughs> that kind of a, he's he's that kind of a guy. So he doesn't like, he doesn't want to try and wrap his head around a lot of this. He'll He'll sit there and listen when I do have an opportunity to talk to him. But he kind of just retreats to wherever he was before that. So, but then I had more contentious interactions with other people who are on the other side of the political spectrum, the left. And I had a lot of pent up frustration. But when I started the podcast and I was like, Oh, well, now people listen to what I have to say. People are donating money, you know? So that <laughs> there was, there was a time, there was a time when it emboldened me at first. And then after I had done the podcast for about a year, I remember having this one particularly negative and kind of hostile, um, interaction. And I said, well, wait a minute. I, maybe I need to be more empathetic because like there's lots of mistakes that I've made. I I think something I I was going through kind of a personal crisis at the time too. And I just, um, I just ended a relationship. I remember. And I said, well, you know, I would be kind of a hypocrite to like say to these people, Oh, what are you going to do? Vote again this year? Are you going to go and vote for more politicians? Haven't you heard the quote about, you know, insanity and doing the same thing over and over again? Uh, but it it was coming, it was coming into focus for me that I had kind of not learned from some of my mistakes or, or I had failed to apply the lessons learned. I, I, I maybe had learned from my mistakes, but I had failed to turn the lessons into meaningful action or preventative action. And I was finding myself in pickles that I had been in before uh, on a personal level. So I started to feel like if I'm just doing this polemic against political people, um, that's really that what it, what it was making me feel kind of icky, right? So uh, Wes actually came back. And we did this series called, uh, Escape from Imagination Land, where we tried to kind of like work through some of this stuff. And I think it wound up, you know, I kind of fell back into like, oh, aren't these people dumb? But, um, I, I really, as time went on, I really wanted to, even if it costs, you know, Listeners like even if it cost us the uh, Alex Jones crowd or the Adam Kokash ca- crowd, I really wanted to turn the show in a more positive and, and constructive direction. Yeah, and we lost, uh, we lost listeners um, because uh, I wasn't as angry. I guess people saw anger or or the presentation of anger as passion, uh, and and that's what made the show entertaining. But I thought I I, I want. The show to be constructive and and functional and above all educational because you know wh- what are we trying to do besides uh, provide solutions to the current systems of um, quote unquote getting educated uh, so so the, it, it took a while like uh, originally the show was therapy but then after I got I don't know a hundred episodes out uh, I didn't need that outlet as much anymore and i and, and we had a fan base and it had become it wasn't you know wasn't generating any income or anything but it was like you know 2010 and i and i said well okay well this has some momentum uh what can it be and and it, it, i never conceived it being what it is today when i started it
0: yeah that's uh that's man that's so interesting man like that I think similar for me, like originally it was therapy and now it's like, okay, now I have a responsibility and it's like, okay, so what do I do next? And that's, that makes perfect sense, man. And, and, and I agree. Like, I think like, uh, I mean, your positive route is, is definitely, I mean, it's, I think it's influenced me, um, with your conversation with, uh, Ben Stone, um, you guys were, Ben was talking about how. I think he said something like there's enough people out there saying how messed up things are. Like maybe, mm-hmm. maybe you should focus on saying something positive or something that you could do. And then like, because I remember I was sitting on an airplane listening to that conversation and I was like, man, he's so right, man. I, I'm really fast to just point out bad shit that's going on because there's so much of it. But why don't, I, why don't I just start focusing on like positive things or positive aspects of things? So, Don't you feel like it's so easy to be negative? Oh, yeah. I mean, it's... Like I'll, man, I I, I still will read like Zero Hedge, and I'll get on there, and I'm like, oh, that everything's fabricated. That's cool. Ebola's coming. Nobody's really cleaning it. They're they're wearing hazmat suits and rolling up their sleeves
1: and all that stuff. But then, why do you yeah, go? Go ahead. Go ahead. I have a question, but go ahead. But then,
0: um, I think at the same time though, it's like it's like a, a But that's a good question because I think I know what you're gonna ask. That's kind of like, man, am I just playing a game with myself here? I mean, I think sometimes I want to know what's going on, and sometimes I think it's motivating to see things that are kind of like bad things that are happening. But I feel like there really is, um, this kind of like progressive push. Like you have to have kind of like an opposing force to push it, maybe. I don't know. Like I was mm-hmm. thinking about that, uh, um, my friend um Kevin, uh he's actually in San Diego. I met him at the uh, Jack Lipp Freedom Festival. He's got this uh website called Radical Optimism and I was just mm-hmm. listening to him mm-hmm. and them talking about it. like things really are getting better, like in, in reality, even though like everything is kinda like I feel like the curtain um is being lifted and we're kind of seeing the Oz is just a man, but at the same time it's like things really are getting better. And I think like, I kind of just remembered just to focus on like, okay, I can control stuff for me. Like I can control my life. And I think like if I control my life, maybe I can inspire other people to control their own lives. And if you kind of like, kind of build and build and build, like enough people taking responsibility for themselves kind of like adds up if that
1: makes sense. Absolutely. Yeah. I've, I've tried to preach the same thing. I was going to ask you why you think people why we even maybe sometimes gravitate to the negativity i i don't know i mean i've I've gone through a lot of different phases with that and and i've tried to explore like uh, so for example like i like to be entertained while i eat entertained while i eat right if i'm eating by myself um, so I'll make my food and I'll come to the computer and I'll open YouTube. And I've got, you know, my my front page there just displays whatever's new from all the channels I subscribe to. So like I'll check the the comedy shows that I like, like uh, you know, Red Bar Radio or or there's this uh channel Joy Camp. But I have you ever seen Joy Camp? No. These no, uh, check definitely it out. check out Joy Camp. They're these uh these guys, I think they're in California and they you know, they're very like on board with um, you know they do a lot of conspiracy stuff, but they, they try, it's funny, you know, they're like little shorts. Uh, so if they don't have anything new, I usually find myself going through Alex Jones's videos and I say, Oh, okay. It it just hit me one day. Like, Oh, this is entertainment. Yeah, for me. And that's like, it's something like I didn't want to admit to myself. I've gone through all kinds of different phases with Alex Jones. Alex Jones, like, oh, what an eye opening, like going back to when I first heard him in maybe like 2005. Oh, this is so eye opening. I've never heard anyone with this kind of courage to talk like this all the way up to where I was like sometime in 2012, where like, I think he he might be like some kind of an agent <laughs> after his the Piers Morgan debacle to then just kind of developing a cautious appreciation uh, that you know maybe he's just a guy trying to do the best he can with some challenges. and But when I find myself, I found myself just one day at his channel and I'm like, oh, well, whatever I'm going to watch is going to be doom and gloom. Uh, it's not going to be constructive. It's not going to have solutions. There'll be an ad for something that I, I can buy and maybe... You know, make uh, some part of my life better if I'm concerned about you know the the heavy metals that are or whatever. Anyway, but uh, he, I'm like, oh, okay. So I'm just here because this is like horror or, or like doom porn. You know, I mean that's so doom so. Porn's a good, I think
0: uh, that's a good term. It's you know, it's funny too. Is like you do kind of look at it like I don't know, man. Like uh, to get kind of personal, like you know, the whole procrastination thing that goes on sometimes, you know. Mm. Why, am I, why am I looking at porn right now? I yeah. really need the... Am I just trying to kill time? Am I going to rub one out to kill time? <laughs> it kind of is the same thing in a weird way. And, like, uh, and something you said, too, about, um, you know, for entertainment. Like, um, you know, when I was... I was talking to Gino Denning after the show. Yeah. And I was asking him, and I was like, yeah, man, I've been reading Zero Hedge. It's pretty interesting, man. They always have a bunch of shit that, you know, comes out. He's like, yeah. He kind of said to me, like, you know, you do it to entertain yourself. But in reality, it does kind of like, it kind of stunts what you're really trying to do.
1: I, I think that's, that's a possibility. And it was like a, a real challenge for me for a while, like, especially sitting in front of the computer and, um, doing, uh, audio work. Right. So you're editing, right. Yeah, And you're just watching a fucking waveform go by, you know, and it's like, okay, well, so, I I mean, there's new porn on the internet, I'm sure, I could check that out, Uh, I could go to Facebook, I, like, I I managed to, like, because I I realized, I I figured, I figured there's no way I could just sit here and watch a waveform go by, you know, and every... Uh, a minute I have to take out an um or an ah or something. And other than that, I'm just sitting here watching all these blue lines. Uh, so free cell seemed to be harmless enough. Like I could play free cell. I got into this game plants versus zombies a while where you basically are just planting plants that shoot out like rocks <laughs> to mm-hmm. kill zombies that are, that are trying to invade your backyard. Um, that, that seemed to work out for a while, but yeah, it's like, It's the same thing with like gravitating back to the doom porn, right? It's like, um, uh, those, those old habits die hard, you know? Like you, you can, if you're not being vigilant, you can sink back into like, oh, well, you know, Facebook would probably be very entertaining right now. But like, I, I learned that if I'm working, um, you know, that needs to be closed. Like I don't, I don't even stand a chance because I'm, it's multitasking. You know, it becomes multitasking and I'm, I'm losing control or I'm losing like, you know, the, the optimal, uh, attention to the activity that, that needs it. So, um, what I actually started doing, oh, this is a strange thing, but it helped a little bit. I got one of those balls, those Swiss balls that people do sit-ups on. Yeah. And i just, <laughs> when I get restless, I just bounce on it. Like, so it's, it's, I'm sitting in on the ball instead of a desk chair, right? Cause you get into the desk chair, you pull it in, you lean back, you know, you're in that kind of cruise control computer mode. So I get up, I have a headphone cord long enough where I can like kind of pace back and forth. Uh I bounce on my red ball. Um, but yeah, it's like, sometimes it's just like, dude, open an incognito window, you know, and go to set, up some tabs. <laughs> set, up, set up some tabs for later, you know, that's productive. And you can, I'm, you can look really at pictures. Hard cause
0: I've done that too. <laughs> you can look at
1: pictures and listen to yourself talk at the same time. That's kind You of can't a weird thing. act on that's those pictures. A weird
0: thing, though. I mean, it's still a weird thing. If you think about like I'm really getting off to myself and looking at these chicks right now. Like that's still like I I've thought about that a lot, man. That's such a
1: that's so funny, man. I've told That's an unwritten podcasting rule. You have to pause the sound of yourself talking <laughs> yeah. when you have a bunch of Google incognito tabs open.
0: Yeah. <laughs> that's hilarious. No, I I uh I've been there. Um and that's the thing too about multitasking. Like every study pretty much shows that nobody's good at it like everybody thinks they're good at it but nobody's really good at it when I was um applying for jobs and I was kind of in between positions before I have the position I'm now um everyone's like how would you rate your 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 multitasking and I'd be like well I would say it sucks because everybody sucks um if you look at the studies there's a lot of evidence that shows that um if you want I can provide some for you and i don't know if i lost jobs because of that but I, I like it's just like it's a really weird thing that people people actually think that that's something that you can be good at or that and it, it it's always better to just focus on one thing and get better at focusing on it like it just learning tuning in your ability to focus is such a good good thing to do but yeah and, uh, and but the funny thing about stability balls too is like i know like a lot of um there's been studies, too, that if you are kind of doing, like, like they have, like, there's some companies that actually have, like, workstations on treadmills so you can actually work and exercise. Uh, Mark Edge has one of those, yeah. Yeah. I don't know if that's good, but um, I don't know. I, I think the stability ball is a good idea. You know, keep keep your core development going, too.
1: You know? Yeah, I haven't tried to do, to do, actually go and start doing sit ups because now I'm counting and trying to listen to myself. And I'm going to miss ums and ahs that way. You know, it's not, it's not, uh, Pornhub, but it's, it's still, it's counting. It's an extra thing to do. So one good hack for that, that I've identified, uh, and I, I think Jake DeSillis was the first person who told me about this was the Pomodoro method. Right. You know, I, I don't think there's a real science to this. I think it's just more, more of a suggestion. And, and it, and it's really dealing with work intervals. So can you work for 25 minutes and take a five minute break? Right. So it depends on, but, but we're all doing all different types of work. Right. So maybe 25 minutes is, is meaningless or pointless to some people. So is it, you know, 50 work, 10 break? Uh, I, I experimented with one the last couple of weeks, 90 minutes, 20, uh, 90 minutes work, 20 minute break, right? Where the work in that 90 minutes is just one thing because I've been doing a lot of like non-podcast uh, types of work lately. So uh, normally my, my uh, impulse would be to like try to edit a podcast and then, okay, well, the podcast is playing and I'm listening to that because I'll listen to a show like two times through and before I put it out. Um, and, uh, then I'll try to do all these other things while that's going on. And that's like, nothing is getting done. Everything is getting done. Okay. But nothing is getting done as well as it should be. So working in intervals and in that interval, whether it's 25 minutes for some types of work, it's just, I think it differs, you know, for the person, what's your attention span? How long can you sit still? I can't sit still that long. Um, but I was able to focus on one thing pretty much without moving for 90 minutes, you know. So different types of work might call for different work intervals. Different people with different needs might call for different work intervals. But I think it's something that everybody should try, you know, and maybe try small intervals first and then and then work up to longer periods of time, of course, depending on what kind of work you're doing and how much time uh, on task is fruitful. Yeah,
0: I um I I think that's a good idea. Um, What now to get back to the podcast and like um so you've been able to monetize your podcast, which to a podcaster like myself, I haven't really attempted. Mm -hmm. But most people can't really make like I've I've I found that podcasting is great for like social currency. Mm -hmm. Really good to get to know people and networking but i think like to actually get like money that i can pay bills with like just to get money like um you've been able to kind of do that and what what strategies did you have to kind of um to be able to monetize you said you do get contributions um what other kind of approaches did you take to 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 be to make that successful
1: well i uh... I would say that there's a few things there's a few things at play here. I I I mentioned this I think in in our our live show that we did last week uh, or uh, sorry not last week this Monday that the more successful a podcast becomes the more it costs right because the better it has to be and also the more successful a podcast becomes the more time it requires. So when 150 people listen to the show, I didn't mind volunteering eight hours a week to work on it for free. You know, it was a hobby. But then when thousands of people listened and there were basically content requirements and the show needed to grow and I needed to respond to emails and I needed to, um, you know, track numbers and, um, uh, you know, put, you know, new types of content or, or try to take things to the next level, like suddenly it was 30 hours a week. And I really have a hard time for how much money I make doing it. I have a hard time working more than 30, 35 hours a week because I really can't <laughs> justify the hourly wage. Like yeah. if, if more people come in and subscribe, like, you know, if we got 150 new subscribers, uh, in the next month, I'd be willing to work 50 hours a week. Um, you know, because then the hourly way, like I've always just done things like kind of as a contract worker, like what is, what is my time worth an hour? So I, I find myself, you know, getting frustrated when, um, you know, somebody, uh, will, will ask for my time, uh, on like an educational issue just because, uh, I, I don't know if this is like, a, a, how other people feel about this, but it's kind of frustrating. Like I'm struggling to invest this much time and make money doing this educational thing. So somebody says, Hey, could I have more of your time to uh, you know, have, ask you to read something or tell me what your opinion is about something. Um, I I would just politely say, can you post this in the group where you can get, you know, the eyes of 600 people who are as smart as me to give you opinions or, or feedback about this? Because, um, you know, they can do it voluntarily. Um, I, I, I feel like, Yeah. Do you know what I mean? Like, I I just, I I feel like that's, I I don't feel like it's unreasonable and I understand why people do it. And, and obviously I know what it's like to, to, um, see, oh, here's somebody who has a fair amount of expertise in this particular area. I'm hungry for knowledge. I like this person's show. I feel like I have a connection with them. Um, I would never, I I wouldn't have a hard time doing it myself. Right. Like fortunately, all the people that I, except for Wes, like all the people that I admired uh, came to me, you know? Pretty awesome. Uh, and, and that was just because because like we were kind of in this closed network of Liberty podcasters, right? So, you know, I connected with Jason Osborne, who was like a huge benefactor of Free Talk Live. He came to me and, um, you know, Steph heard about me and he came to me and interviewed me. And that was like a huge boost for the show. But I, I don't know how comfortable I would have been like going and seeking those people out but it wasn't cuz i didn't want to you know yeah. i just i don't know i always think about time with like an all at, with like an hourly dollar amount attached to it you know and um i i want to be respectful of that uh especially if if people are are doing the same thing so I, um, how the hell did I get off on that tangent? Hey, Which I was like more just name. me venting. I like
0: it, man. I like it, man. It's, uh, I wanted to know Brett Vignette, man. That's the whole point. That's, that was, a, that was my scheme to get you to talk to me. I'm like, Hey, I just want you to talk about <laughs> you and your podcast. That
1: was my, that was my scheme. I'm like, he'll, he'll bite hard. No, I'm just <laughs> right, Right. Right. Um, but, it, oh, okay. So, so I'm, I'm just trying to backtrack to how, how I got off course there. We're talking about monetizing the show and I think I it, it kind of had to be like I, I, I didn't do this on purpose right I didn't this wasn't conscious it just kind of happened I kind of like went beyond this point and then a door like locked behind me like and here's an example of what I mean maybe I shouldn't have used my real name to <laughs> do the show I, I think that all the time right when then I go out and occasionally try to reenter the mainstream education field um you know i'll just like once in a while when i get kind of worried about money maybe i'll throw a couple resumes out for um you know tutoring jobs or something and uh you know i don't hear back and i know that i'm more than qualified and i'm usually underbidding um you know what the the typical rates are so are people Google? I mean, I would be, if you're going to let somebody work with your kids, you'd be insane not to Google them. And I just, I, I don't, I, I, maybe it was just this enthusiasm that I had, this excitement in the beginning that I didn't think of, that didn't occur to me. I'm like, I'm Brett Vinat and this is what I have to say. That's who I really am. You know, that's my, that's my real name. And, uh, I think as that name has become larger and more connected to the phrase school sucks on the internet uh i've kind of like gone down this path past the point of no return like this is what i do now um there probably is no going back so as and that as, was
0: probably subconsciously something that you probably wanted for yourself and yeah way. like because i remember when i was starting my podcast um and mine's not, I mean, it's nowhere near school sucks level of popularity, but like the same thing, like I was like, well, I'm going to use my real name. And then I'm like, oh, let me talk about episode one. Yeah, I don't have a job. Uh, I uh, did a bunch of mushrooms and then I started this <laughs> podcast and I'm like, man, I'm just like so like, now I'm at work and I'm in the closet about being a podcaster. Cause so I'm like, I don't want people to know, like, I don't, I don't need these people to know that this is what I do for fun. So instead, I just go to work, I get paid, I go home, and I live my life. I rem-
1: yeah, yeah. I remember um, I applied for this, uh, this position with this company called Catalyst that, that I mentioned earlier. And they work in Connecticut. They work all over the country, but I was working for them in Connecticut. And they do this thing called the SAT Boot Camp. And uh, they showed me what the compensation would be for about uh, after training uh, a 10-hour time investment to teach this class. And I thought it looked pretty good. So like, okay, here's uh, just the, you know, requirements that we need to, uh, to hire you. And one of the requirements was going to a police station to get fingerprinted, right? So I remember like being in the police department and my heart was just beating so fast, you know, like I'm in a police department, I'm going into a locked portion of the station where I don't have the keys, right? Yeah. Now, what if they put my fingerprints in? And I'm like on some kind of a list, right? What if, what if the IRS wants me? What, if, what if there's a w- federal warrant for my arrest? Like all these things just start going through my mind when I'm sitting there locked in the police station, giving up my fingerprints so I can get a job, you know? So yeah, I mean, there were all kinds of things early on where just the enthusiasm of becoming a podcaster and getting the word out there, there were like all these, uh, scenarios that, that didn't play out at that time. Um, that, oh, maybe one day you'll need money and people will know who you are and you'll be a public figure. But, um, I think it was Napoleon Hill in the, the book, The Master Key to Riches, which is, you know, it's not like a Bible for a success, but it, it's, it's a, it's a good thing for people to check out, especially if they want to be entrepreneurs. I think in that book, he talks about, you know, all these people who left themselves no other options. Like they say, okay, this is my path and I have to succeed, right? There's no escape hatch. There's no safety net, you know? Um, and I kind of feel that way sometimes. And, I, and I've talked about like, well, what if this just got shut off? You know, what would I do the next day? I mean, I'm I'm sure that with, with thought and reflection, um, I could find the next thing to do. But I don't know what it is right now. I mean, this is really, this is really what I want this to do. I want this to grow. And, um, part of, you know, the, the monetization of the show is about surviving because you kind of get to this place where you can't really work a job anymore and do it. Right. Like I couldn't just be like checking emails and like dealing with, um, PayPal problems and, you know, like all those little, those little things that come up and editing a show, uh, the way I like to do it, which is going over it once and then going over it again. And, um, you know, first for, um, you know, trying to shape it and then once to kind of like fine tune it and get all the junk out of it. Um, it's, it's, it's a lot of time. Like doing video work is a ton of time. Now, maybe some people have this talent where they can just like um, you know, like Steph does. And obviously he's like cultivated it over a period of of many years where he just gets in front of a camera and talks and it's great, you know, but that's not, that's not me. I can't do that. I can't do that yet. Maybe someday I'll, I'll be able to, but to produce something that's comparable to work that he does, if I can do that, um, you know, two hours of his are like 10 hours of mine, you know, So, but that's what I want to do. And, and hopefully maybe one day it's like, you know, eight hours for the same thing and six hours for the same thing and four hours for the same thing. And then I'm really kind of like, then, um, I'd be making a lot of money, (laughs) you know, every hour. But, um, I, I, I've said to people like, this is a product. This is a program. This is a message for people who probably don't have a lot of money to throw around. So if you're an adult and you're listening to this show, I hope you'll support it. You know, I hope that if you if you are really thinking that there are viable educational alternatives, you know, to public school, to higher education, you'll consider this to be one or at least a message. Even if this is not like a whole curriculum that takes the place of whatever somebody else would do, it's at least something that more people should hear. And even if I'm not the best messenger, you know, like I have this experience, I'm pretty I think I'm pretty good at it. And, and, you know, just pick out a couple of your favorite shows and, and send it to somebody uh young, you know, or some, you know, somebody and they're interested in this, this, and this, or they've had this, this, and this problem, you know, fi- I, we've, we've covered a lot of bases. So I think there's something there for everybody. And I, I love to hear the stories of how people came to the show and started listening. Um, it, it, that, that really, like, that means a lot to me. And like I said, I uh, think, you know, a while ago. I
0: mean, yeah. Well, I would just say like people just reaching out, like for me personally, like, I'm thrilled to death when somebody wants to interact with me. Like I'm, I'm just as excited to talk to them personally, Mm -hmm. you feel the same way. Sorry, I interrupted you.
1: I I am too. And I, I want to kind of, uh, amend something that I I said before, the kinds of people who have bothered me (laughs) are few and far between anybody can, anybody can ask me to read three paragraphs. Right. And, And most people ask me to, to read even less. Um, I felt like there was a, a couple people, I, I don't know why I'm, i I hope I didn't make it sound like that was everybody. There were a couple people who said, Hey Brett, you know, a lot about education. Um, should I take, uh, where can I take the SAT in the United States? <laughs> that was one. Um, sh- I'm thinking about going to college. Um, what are the, and like asking for lists uh those 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 kinds of things and and th- and that has happened but most people are are very polite very considerate i i try to get back to everybody that that facebook group that i set up has been awesome because i what i've always wanted is more listener interaction interaction i wanted to be able to like if something happened to me all of this could just go on yeah. you know like it's not the brett show you know, somebody could take my place. So there's other people who've had the same types of experiences. There's somebody who could, who could fill my shoes. And this is just this, this environment, this online environment, this online community that we've, that we've created that has this message that, you know, if it wasn't one peer person, like three people could, could pick up the reins and, and keep the show going. Um, that's uh, I, I didn't, I, 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 even though I had a story and even though like, I, I think I'm good at doing the show, I never wanted the show to be like really about me or that I was the central figure. I think sometimes people want that. Like the more I learn about marketing, the more I'm kind of like, oh gosh, do I have to do this, this, and this to really, to really be successful? Can I just totally be myself and do what I feel like is right and respectful? Uh, but that's not how marketing works, unfortunately, well, I think so, it's – but
0: at the same time man it's important to do things on
1: your own terms yeah that yeah absolutely and because that's if, been...
0: if as soon as you fat sacrifice that that you're gonna lose more then. right, and I think as well um back to doing things on your own terms, I think you know something I think that as a podcaster that uh you know is like you know seven habits of highly effective people is really stuck out as you know. Seek to understand, not to be understood, and I think like that's that's always like man like when you have a guest on, it's always about your guest, it's always about them, and you you do your best to assist, and I think that's what makes your show so great, and I I try to do that on my show, but like um, I don't think like learning the trivia, like getting started to learn like the start studying the trivia method, like when you had Gene on, like I like that was like it it was a perfect show, and something Gene said was. That was such a good show because Brett had studied so much and, like, and I honestly, he was helping me out so much and it made me sound way, way better than what I probably would have.
1: Oh, I really appreciate that. And, and no, you were, you were absolutely great. I feel like, uh, uh, I didn't learn enough about you. So we'll have to, we'll have to, uh, do this again. I'm, I'm still working on like getting interviewed that that whole getting interviewed thing,
0: thing yeah it's that, that's the weirdest thing is like you're like, whoa okay, yeah, I'm used to interviewing somebody else, okay, yeah. I'm gonna be interesting now, but I think that's like it's kind of like the it's just kind of like how um you know uh you know your friends helped you out by coming on your show and stuff like that it's it's the same thing I mean like you know I, I can get the host of the school sucks podcast on my show, so it's like a I can piggyback off of 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 Brett and I, yeah. I think that's just kind of how it works it's like um you know it's you know it's paying it forward in a sense and I th- I think um but I appreciate that I appreciate the compliments I mean it's you know listen to you know listening to good podcasters is help and also just you know I don't I don't it's just kind of like what you said I don't want this to be about me like the sample hour it's not the Drew sample hour it's it's the sample hour like And the whole point was to play off my last name and say, well, you can get a sample of a bunch of stuff. Mm -hmm. And um, so, um, but yeah, I, I appreciate you coming on. and I'd love to have you on again. It was fun talking to you. And what was funny was at the beginning of the show, we started talking about other stuff and we were getting into conversations about stuff and I'm like... Well, let's talk about you, Brett. Let's get back to Brett.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, another amendment, uh, another amendment. Uh, we did just start a sort of supplemental podcast, uh, series, uh, that has the tremendously pre- uh, pretentious, pre- excuse me, tremendously pretentious and self-congratulatory title of Podcast Masters. Liberty masterclass. <laughs> it's, it's me and uh Osborne and Gardner Goldsmith from uh Liberty Conspiracy. So, um that should be coming out right around the time that I that I put this show out. Um but yeah, other than that, uh yeah, I think that um I I actually have to say I felt pretty damn important for the last uh 85 minutes and well, that's should. very nice.
0: You should you you are important, man. That's the whole thing. Like you have listeners that it makes their like oh man it's a new school sucks let me tune into this i
1: know that's i it's that's always like an exciting thing to think about because i think about that with like you know um uh, there actually there aren't too many podcasts that I feel that way anymore. Maybe there's a couple. There are things that most people who listen to my show probably don't listen to. But when a new one comes out, I'm like, oh great! I've been I've been waiting for this. I can't wait for it to download and and listen to it. Um,
0: so, real quick, when you became yeah. a
1: podcaster, did you kind of switch
0: up what you listened to because you didn't want to, like you didn't want to be like a more of like a like did you did you ever feel like, man, I don't want to sound too much like this person, and they've heavily influenced me, so I need to really put like an arm's length away so I can have my own voice in a sense or have my own show in a sense
1: yes, that's yeah, that's great uh that's a great question. uh Stefan Molyneux was probably the hardest, right? because when I first interacted with him, uh I had heard his show uh like just kind of gone through and selected things that i that I liked, but after the conversation, uh, that I had with him, we got a lot of his listeners. This was uh 2009 and I started just consuming his show like, uh, three, four. I mean, he had, you know, I don't know, a thousand something shows then. So, uh, three, four shows a day and his way of speaking was so, I mean, I guess some people hate it, but I loved it. I thought I like, I just couldn't get enough of listening to this guy talk. And, uh, you know, just his, the, the, the pace and the intonation and, and his vocabulary and his, his, his humor, you know, I mean, I've heard funnier people. I've heard people with less corny jokes, but he's pretty much like the whole package as far as like communication is concerned. Like he's fantastic. So, um, I, I, I was like, really like, I was listening back to myself. I'm like, I'm starting to sound like this guy, you know, like little things that I was saying uh, little emphasis, like words that I was using that I thought like were coming out of my head, but were put into my head by listening to his show. Um, you know, so you start like, you know, like you, you listen to a podcast, right. And one of the ideas from the podcast, like goes into your brain and kind of rattles around in the back for a while and then gets kicked out, uh, you, you know, of your mouth and you're like, Oh, I'm pretty clever. <laughs> that happened to me. Uh, that happened to me a few times. Uh, another one was, um, a comedy show that I listen to called red bar radio, uh, which I don't recommend for most people. I think most people would find it, um, horrifying, but, um, he, the host is, uh, from Chicago and has a, a, kind of an interesting way of speaking. And I find that, um, I pick up some of his, uh, technique. Well, I don't know if he's really doing it as a, as a technique, but some of his little ticks, uh, come through uh, when I'm talking. Sometimes if I've, if I've been listening too much. So yeah, that's a that's a great question. Um, I don't listen to Steph that much anymore. I mean, I still think uh, I don't agree with everything that that he's doing, but I still think he does great work. Uh, I still think that he is uh, an authority on a lot of really important issues. Um, I feel like. I, uh, part of it, and I think I said this to, uh, to his guys when I was hosting his call-in show, sometimes as a podcast, it's frustrating to listen to somebody who's, who's so good, you know, who's also like kind of doing the same thing that you're doing, but they're just like amazing at it, you know, when you, and not wanting to compare yourself. So, um, I check in with him once in a while, but I don't listen as much as I, as I used to. And I also really don't have time to listen as much as I used to because I'm always, you know, I I mean, most of my work is listening to myself talk or, um, you know, listening back to myself talk. Uh, so I I don't really have much time for as many people as I would like anymore to listen to them talk because, you know, I have a life outside of this as well. Um, I have a girlfriend, you you have a life. Get out of town. Yeah, no, it's, it's great. It's fantastic. Um, I have a, a, a wonderful girlfriend and, uh, we spend a lot of time together and we really enjoy each other. And that's kind of like, I would find that when I was single, I would just like work all the time. Right. Like I would just always like my life was kind of at the computer. So I'd be like, okay, well, what work things can I do? But then when we got together, I was like, okay, well, she works these days and has these days off. So now I'm going to make a work schedule around her work schedule, right? So like, these will be the times that I work. And then when she's not at work, I'll spend time with her. So suddenly, like, it, when it was night, I wasn't working anymore, you know, and a life developed <laughs> outside of uh, doing this stuff. So uh that was nice. And and like her schedule and the reason why I say I made my schedule around her, like her schedule wasn't flexible, mine was. So that's why I did that.
0: That's awesome, man. Um well I tell you what, uh we we shot for an hour and we hit an hour and a half. So great. Uh, but let's uh, do it again. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Let's have you on again. Um everybody, thank you so much for listening. Please go to iTunes and rate and subscribe. So review and subscribe. So iTunes is very much heavily so based on what reviews you give us, podcasters? Not downloads. They don't. They don't actually host anything. They just mirror it. So please tell on iTunes that our stu- our podcasts are great, uh, specifically Brett's, so he can attract more subscribers. Um, also, Thank you. Yeah, not a problem. Also, go to Facebook, join the School Sucks Podcast group. Is that a That's a. You can just join it, right? Or is it an invite only? Um, you can request it, and I'll approve you. Request it, yeah. Request it, and maybe you'll get approved. <laughs> so
1: he, let's do something nice for
0: Brett.
1: <laughs> there's only two people. There's only two people I will not let back in. One was like an Israeli national who was talking about killing Muslims. But at the same time, he like seemed to really get that like the whole school was a problem (laughs) but we just couldn't we couldn't overlook the fact that he wanted to kill muslims and um my webmaster at the time was actually from israel and he's like this is not good we we we, you know we can't have this guy so he got banned and another guy got banned because he just wouldn't leave me alone um so there's two if you're not those two people you're in please
0: please also if you can't afford it contribute to brett's podcast it's a great podcast um he does a great job so please 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 compensate compensate him for his time and efforts um
1: go to there's
0: a is you have schoolsucks.com
1: yeah schoolsucksproject.com
0: schoolsucksproject.com visit his site go to his youtube page he has some awesome videos he just released some about uh, on uh, john taylor gatto um one I th- they're all on Prussian education
1: uh, there's, there's actually, there's a whole playlist that has 13 videos and they're all just clips uh, that, that I like. First of all, they, they, things that translate to video, but also things when they're all put together will tell a, hopefully, a somewhat consistent story and give people a better understanding of uh, the history of government schooling uh, in the United States, where it came from, uh, where people want it to go and sort of the various transformations that it's, it's gone through. So it's, it's a massive book. And I'm probably when all is said and done, going to pull 30 excerpts out of it and that are going to turn into videos. I've done 13 so far. That's awesome.
0: So rate and subscribe and review, um, on, uh, and favorite on
1: YouTube. And thank you very much for listening guys. We really appreciate it. Hey, can you do one thing before we go? Yes. Can you plug all of your stuff for my audience? Because I'll re- I'll repost this.
0: Yes. Oh, thank you, sir. Yes. So please follow me on Twitter. I'm at Drew Sample. Um, also follow at The Sample Hour on Twitter. Please go to my Facebook page. Go to www.facebook.com forward slash The Sample Hour and like my Facebook page. Um, please, just like I said, for Brett's, please rate, review, and subscribe. I would really appreciate it. If you think I'm a cool guy, interact with me. I'll <laughs> talk to you. It'll be fun. Also, uh, I am a member of the Inspired Disorder Collective. Go to the InspiredDisorderCollective.com. Check out the other great shows on there. My friend Ray, at Ray Taylor on Twitter does a great job of helping all of us. Um, check out Ray's Art and support Ray's Art. And also that also supports me if you use my coupon code on the Inspired Disorder Collective. Um, and that's pretty much it. Oh, uh, one thing too, because we might as well, uh, if you are in the Columbus, Ohio area, we're going to go to, there's a death squad show, uh, red bands coming in town. So go to that. We're going to have a big event for death squad, Ohio. And that's it.
1: Awesome. Well thanks so much for having me I really appreciate oh, it. this was a lot of fun and I will totally do it again anytime
0: Awesome awesome thank you Brett thanks for listening
1: to me This deck perfection this deck punch up that nation Please do bomb my nation if I got my soul, when I'm here you go hate me when I'm gone ain't no blood pump no feel I got hope inside of my bones this that life beyond your own life this ain't fiction for mankind this that outer body experience no coincidence this been tight